0: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
1: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast.
2: Knows wrong about Underworld? Today we're gonna chat all things lichen and vampire and Bill Nye. Today, really quickly though, I want to make sure that I welcome back fans and welcome new fans. Thank you guys for being here. And hey ladies, happy women's history month! Yes, today, kicking it off, celebrating women all month, especially our next conversation. Alrighty then, Mark, how you feeling?
3: Oh, Jacqueline. You know, I'm just remembering a simpler time back in 2003. I don't even know if I had been to Los Angeles yet, but I had no idea that during that entire year I was wearing the wrong haircut for a male. Apparently in 2003, there's only one haircut you could get if you were a dude and I didn't have it. So I'm starting to figure out why I was single during that period.
2: You didn't have the Scott Speedman?
3: I did. Is that what we call it? Is it the Speedman? You know, I mean,
2: I think that's like he was. uh, So first of all, let me just go ahead and say about Underworld. um, First and foremost, I was not caring about Scott Speedman. This is where my love affair with Wentworth Miller was like formed. I watched Prison Break, which was a show that was only good for one season. Oh, right. Because of how fine that man was. Also, low key black man. People don't know that.
3: Yeah. Wentworth Miller was breaking into prison to try to break his brother out. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Uh, okay. That show okay. was great for the first season, but it's a show called Prison Break. So like once they break out of prison, it's all over. Like there's no reason to be back.
3: Prison Break would always be advertised during NFL Sunday. It was like tonight it's an all new 24 followed by Prison Break. And I'm like, I'm definitely watching Kiefer Sutherland. And then maybe I'll watch Prison Break or maybe I'll pass out. I. It's either or.
2: Yeah, meanwhile, I have never watched an episode of 24, but I've seen every single season of Prison Break, even the reboot. But that is another episode for another day. Today, we're going to be talking about Underworld, which has a critic score of 31%. It's hard for me to even say that. But an audience score of 79%. Mark, take us back to all the leather and all the rain and all the vampires and all the werewolves. Tell us what happened in Underworld. Jacqueline
3: Coley, not since the T-Birds and the Scorpions were rival high school gangs in Greece have we seen so much leather in just one film. However, unlike Greece there's vampires and there's werewolves in this movie. And wouldn't you know it? They just do not get along. They haven't since really, I believe it was the fifth century. So think about a young Wilford Brimley and then go even further back in time to this guy, Alexander. Okay. He gets bitten by, so he gets a virus somehow. Okay. And then he's got he has three kids that have the virus. One of them gets bit by a bat. One of them gets bit by a wolf. He's not a very good father. It sounds like And so that starts the sort of rival lines of lichens and vampires. Lichen is another cooler name for werewolf. And they have never seen eye to eye. And so now we find ourselves in modern times when Underworld starts. Kate Beckinsale is Selene. She's a death dealer. So she's got those vampire traits. And they're looking to rid the world of lichens once and for all. And this dude, played by Scott Speedman and his fantastic haircut, might be the key to the whole thing. That's Scott Speedman who I used to play against in Rec League Basketball. Maybe we'll tell that story at the end. Or maybe we talk about the time I punked Kate Beckinsale. Either way, this movie is all about werewolves and vampires and setting up the lore for the next 19 Underworld films that followed.
2: Wow. First of all... All of the nuggets that Mark has teased in this, trust me, I feel like the last section of this show is just going to be me thirsting over Wentworth Miller and everything Mark put out in that synopsis. But stay tuned for that. Uh, sorry, Producy Lucy, which is your new name now. <laughs> yes! Producy Lucy. Love it. Which I don't know how I didn't know that that iteration
0: was, was something that I could have done. But what? hi there,
2: Producy Lucy.
0: Producy Lucy? Hey there. Hey, happy happy uh, Women's Month, uh, secret guest that I won't expose yet, and Jacqueline. <laughs> and same to you, Mark. Tell happy
3: Women's Month, ladies. And look, if y'all don't want to stop it this month, if y'all just want to take the ball and run with it from here, I am fine to sit in the back seat for the rest of this car ride.
2: You know what? That would be a first for a dude, honestly, and I want to make it happen.
0: I just have to say really quick, I am so excited about this episode. 13-year-old Lucy, who saw this... Like this movie meant so much to me. So, Secret Guest and Jacqueline and Mark, I can't wait. I'm
2: pretty sure I sent, I made the girls in my dorm room go to see this in the theater at the Movie Tavern, which was the aus was was the Denton version of Austin's Alamo Draft House for poor people. I don't know. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest, and I want to know if she had a dine in movie theater that she saw stuff in. Um, of course, I'm talking about Steph Sabra. Love her name so much. She is one third of the Whirl Girls with Roxy Stryer and Dorina Ariano. We have made the trilogy complete, ladies and gentlemen. We have had now all three. But she also makes weekly appearances on SEN Live and the SITH Council. Is that the Sith Council? That is the Sith Council. And I am an idiot Star Wars fan. but. She will correct me. Everyone, please welcome Sef Sabra.
4: Hello, Jacqueline. Don't you ever call yourself an idiot. You are gold. And this is the perfect movie for Women's Month. Are you kidding me? I'm ready to... We don't need the month. We need the whole century. I agree, Mark.
2: I'm with hey, that one I'm
4: too. telling
3: you, y'all can take it. And Jacqueline, don't feel bad about that Sith mispronunciation because I feel like Jedi, and really anyone in Star Wars who's not a Sith, I feel like they don't even say the word. They just say, uh-oh, here comes an S-I-T-H.
2: <gasps> oh, I'm still going to make that a thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm still going to make that a thing. Uh, anyway, but yeah, no, we're here to talk about Underworld, which, you know, look, we're just here to answer one question. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about this score? Steph? I like you already. I'm thinking I'm going to continue so because what is your opinion? Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong?
4: In the case of Underworld, Jacqueline, Rotten Tomatoes has failed us. 31% is a crime against this leather, lust, in action-filled movie featuring one of the best and quite possibly the sexiest vampires of all time. I'm talking about Celine. This movie deserves more and the money that it pulled in speaks for
2: itself. I'm with it. Mark, what about you? I would say justice
3: for George Hamilton if we're talking about the sexiest vampires of all time. But Kate Beckinsale, Selene is pretty high up on the list, too. I think Rotten Tomatoes, because this movie's on the tomato meter at 31 percent. Rotten Tomatoes might be wrong, but they ain't that wrong. I enjoy this movie's mythology. I think that there's a lot of flaws is too strong of a word. I just feel dull. And after a while, I get tired of the movie trying to be the Matrix, and then also just making me sick of whatever blue Instagram filter Len Wiseman shot this entire film with. Oh,
2: shots fired. It's, it's okay, better than 31%.
3: Mark. Better than 31%
2: okay so wrong ish i i I like the wrong ish no i i agree with steph this this movie is style over substance and i am the girls from Tu wong fu bring me the top down leather printed convertible that's gonna maybe break down halfway to california but we are gonna have an adventure i love this movie so much i was obsessed with it everyone involved um i cannot talk enough about the fact that Lynn Wiseman cast all of these very prestige British actors to say gobbledygook, thus paving the way for other Oscar-winning actors to do it later on. Um, but I will say Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. But before we get to that, we have to call back to our favorite review creation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan, for my favorite segment. And here comes the audio drop, Two Minutes with Tim.
1: Two Minutes with Tim. Underworld came out four years after The Matrix and a year after Blade Two, so trench coats were about as hot as they'd been in the movies since the heyday of Humphrey Bogart. So those two films were on the minds of critics when they saw Underworld, and for a lot of them, it didn't hold up by comparison. Underworld is at 31% with 162 reviews and it has a 79% audience score. The general feeling among critics was that it looked terrific, but the story was thin and the film spent more time on exposition than character development, as if it was sort of setting itself up for a franchise, which that's kind of how it turned out. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Anne Hornaday of the Washington Post wrote, For all its slick, neo-noir style, Underworld brings very little that's new to a hoary genre, except for the cliches and contrivances of other hoary genres. However, in a fresh review, Nev Pierce of the BBC wrote, Perhaps it's the idea, the atmosphere, or the enthusiastic action, but it maintains a mysterious watchability which suggests it could become a cult classic. And that 79% audience score suggests that, yeah, it kind of did become a cult classic. So anyway, that's Underworld. Time to head back above ground to our old pals, Jacqueline and Mark. Team Jacob or Team Edward? Werewolves or vampires? Which is it? Wow. Well, oh, put man. me
2: put me Team Martin Sheen. Uh, if we're going to even go for either one of the vampires. Michael I guess. Sheen. Michael Sheen. Did I say Martin Sheen? Wow. You Michael did. Sheen. However, yeah. if it comes
3: out that Martin Sheen's president in the West Wing was in fact a vampire the whole time, I'm in.
2: Digging it. I'm digging it. No, um, I think for the sake of like posterity, I will admit that me back in 2007 was absolutely team Edward. Um, I'm team Rob Pattinson now. I'm, re- I'm ready for Batman. But, um, Period. Period.
4: <laughs> Period. Rob Pattinson. He carried that film.
2: Exactly. But I mean, I get it. I get why critics didn't... Again, it is it is a lot of style, but when the style is so good, right? So- the style is so
4: good. That's exactly what I think every time I watch it. you're When I sit down to watch it, I feel like you're getting a five-star buffet, you know what I mean? When you sit down to a buffet, you want it all in one sitting, but this gives you all of in one sitting without any sort of sketchy bowel movements post viewing. Like you are getting the lobster, the steak, the shrimp and grits, the dessert, the drinks, all of it with, you know, the love story, the action, the sequencing, the um, betrayal, the history, all of that in one sitting. Like, how can you how can you walk away? You sit down knowing that you're going to get it all, and then they they do that. They deliver on their promise.
3: Okay, but Steph, if I'm eating steak and shrimp and lobster, I'm having a couple rolls, some mashed potatoes. It feels like I'm eating all that, but I have this skin tight leather bustier that is just sucking my will to live. And so the style over substance thing, sometimes I love it in movies that are directed by like even a Michael Bay or Zack Snyder. And I like some of Len Wiseman stuff. I was actually the one guy that liked the new Total Recall he did. I just uh, I don't know, Jacqueline. I just don't know. I can be won over with this movie. Y'all can put forward an argument that is willing to convince me. I see a lot of people love this movie, so I'm willing to listen. I don't think I'm moving off of my podium, however.
2: And I don't know if I'm gonna put a compelling argument out there because my biggest compelling argument is, did you see the fine-ass Wentworth Miller on top of the fine-ass Kate Beckinsale? Like, that's the argument. And I don't know if that's enough to really sway you, but guess what? I don't care, because this movie's awesome. But let's go ahead and move into our movie talk section and sort of uh, break down what happens on scene. set cue us up. Yeah. All right. So this is where we're just going to kind of like lay it out flat. Why do you love it? And I think we've kind of touched on it, but just really quickly, Steph, sum it up for me. If you could synthesize your love for Underworld down to a couple of sentences, why do you love it particularly? Well, Mark brought up the
4: leather, and I think that we would just be fools if we didn't bring up the leather. I feel like PETA was okay with the amount of leather used, and don't quote <laughs> me on that, but when leather is used correctly in the way that it was, not even PETA can be mad. But most importantly, it's Women's History Month, and we would be even bigger fools if we, don't, if we didn't mention Celine and what she has done for the women's movement. You cannot tell me that this woman hasn't moved the women's movement forward, Celine walked so Black Widow could run. We would not <laughs> yeah. have the action vixi- vixens we have today without Celine. When I was younger, when I watched this film, I was so excited to see a female led action film. And now that I've watched it when I'm older, I feel the same way, except now the magnitude
2: of it resonates with me more and it's just <clears throat> chef's kiss. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Mark, what about you? Why does this movie leave you lukewarm at best?
3: Well, I do like Kate Beckinsale in this movie a lot. I think that she is a star that is worth um, investing not only in an individual film, but with a franchise like this. Because really what I liked most about it when I saw it initially in 2003, then rewatching it, is the mythology that it's building is so cool. I mean, if you're talking about vampires and werewolves and they don't like each other that much... Even, I I mean, I was locked into Twilight because of that. So I'm going to be locked into a film that has more of an adult flavor to it like Underworld. And the dreariness, the gothic look of this film reminded me of like some cool Tim Burton movies that I like. The problem is you're packing all that in and I just didn't feel a lot of life or movement. Even in the action scenes, it just felt very, we're just going through the motions here. And so if you're going to, jam-pack all of 15 centuries worth of mythology into a movie, you got to give me a little bounce. You got to give me a little feels in order to get me to pay attention. I feel like a kid who was taking a class I really wanted to learn more about. And my history professor was just like this boring guy who's just droning on and on. It was like, I wanted to learn about the Revolutionary War, but Ben Stein is teaching it and I'm falling asleep here.
2: Oh, Bueller. All all I will say is the reason why I love this film is kind of one of the things I didn't click on when I first saw it, but there was something about this film that felt familiar, it felt understood. And when I found out the story behind the guy who wrote it, I really felt like, oh, this is why it resonated with me. It's the star-crossed lovers for sure, but it's this underline of a lot of people telling you who you can love and what is the right form of love that really sort of I think is really why I resonated with this because one of my favorite Portions is when we get to the backstory about the film which we'll get to in later so it, it has more to it than people I think realized at the time and part of that might have been due because of the fact that Len Weissman directed it and had it been directed by the guy who actually wrote it and for folks that don't know he's actually the one from the trailer who's like bloods um Kevin Grivizzo, I don't even know how to say his name Kevin Gravato he's a stunt guy writer producer and he actually wrote the original screenplay for underworld and it was based on his own personal experiences in interracial relationships and so there's like a really interesting understory to this one which we'll get into but before we get into that let's talk about some of the scenes so kind of note the film stuff what's the scene love hate made you want to find a boyfriend to go make out with
4: There's one scene that lives rent free gladly in my mind forever on replay and I'll set it up for y'all. So this is when it's like the pinnacle scene at the end when Victor has homeboy Michael in a headlock. He is about to snap his neck and murder him and he says time to die in addition to his hissing which I absolutely love that take on vampires hissing. And Celine is in the corner, not realizing that her lover is about to get murked. And then she looks and sees that Victor has made a mistake and left his sword on the side. She grabs this sword and does this Shaquille O'Neal style dunk on your head. All you hear is a slice. She lands perfectly. She turns around and faces Victor. And then his head just slides off like he's bobsledding down the snowiest mountain. I mean, that. How could you ever ask for anything more? You got gore. You got vengeance. And she had to make like a really hard decision and kill someone that she's been with for centuries because it was the right thing. So, I mean, this is the scene.
2: Time to die. And the woman rescuing the man. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, what about you? What's What's a scene that, I mean, there's gotta be ones that you liked, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and Steph just said one of them. And so I'll sort of bookend it with w- that is the culmination of what we've heard about. We've seen Celine in a number of cool action sequences throughout this movie. And then that is the climactic like that's why you earn the name Death Dealer. That move against Victor right there starting out the movie does set a cool tone and I'm locked in right away because we see her in the classic superhero pose up on a tall building, which apparently is a great vantage point. Y'all ever go up to a, a tall building? You can't see anything. Every people look like ants, but they're able to scope out not only Michael, who is running away sort of hurriedly from something. And then we see the something that is tracking him are two buff dudes that look like bouncers. And they are, in fact, lichens. So we got to take care of them. We got to find out why these folks are so interested in Scott Speedman, who looks like he's running towards a Rec League basketball game. Now, when she jumps down and she pounces, it's like, she sticks the she nails every landing in this movie so well. I would put her up there with Mila Jovovich in Resident Evil, as far as you land, you put the one arm back up for to, to compensate for the tailwind, you, you get a nice uh crouch down, it's like you're doing a goblet squat for all you weightlifters out there. She pounces up and she just kicks a lot of ass. And from there, I am locked into this movie and I'm expecting to love it, and it doesn't get bad it just from there feels blah and like every action scene is sort of a retread of what i just watched
0: the war had all but ground to a halt in the blink of an eye lucian the most feared and ruthless leader ever to rule the lycan clan had finally been killed the lycan horde scattered to the wind in a single evening of flame and retribution victory it seemed was in our grasp
2: retread it's every Die Hard retread. When it's good, you bring it back. Glenn um, hey. Wiseman
3: also did a Die Hard. He did Live
2: for your he Die did. Hard. Would he did. You... He did Live for your Die Hard. It was actually, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's better than a good day to die hard. Thank let's you. Let's put it that yes. way. I get that. You guys took the action moments, and they're amazing, and they're definitely what I love this. It's all about the style, but there's heart to this movie. There is. There's heart to this movie that I don't think people like clock and it's definitely Michael Sheen's character because he brings this sort of like gravitas to it. He has that like, I used to be Tony Blair sort of like British understated thing to him. And when he talks about um, his wife, Sonia, which is essentially what kicked off the war between the Lycans and the vampires, apparently way, way, way back when Victor's daughter fell in love with Michael Sheen because Previously, the lichens were in servitude to vampires and were their daytime guardians in a sort of like symbiotic relationship, but one where the vampires definitely were in control. And he fell in love with her. And they're very Romeo and Juliet, and, and they find their love, and here comes Victor like, uh-uh, I will literally murder my daughter because she's gonna have, you know, in his opinion, a mixing of the races that he thinks is evil and and should be stamped out. And that's like the same sort of, sort of like racist hatred of another people before you even really understand them, um, thing that we see in a lot of different cultures even later on. And so I really, I love the fact that it had that bit of heart to it and you know, who doesn't want to cry when you see that like he took the necklace from Sonia and that's like his whole motivation behind everything. And I don't know. And it completely mirrors again what it later happens with Celine and Michael. uh, Coven and Corvin, 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 Corvin. So, yeah, there's heart to this. There's love to this. And I love those flashback scenes. Anytime you can show me ancient anything, I'm about it. Um, Bill Niley just being awesome. Um, And my second favorite role of his Probably after Love Actually So I'm down, I'm down for it
3: I'm Lucian
1: I need to go I need to get back
3: There's
4: no going back There's no going anywhere The vampires will kill you on sight Just for being what you are
1: One of us You are
2: one of us, Steph, what about anything else that you particularly liked when you were watching it? This yeah, time, yeah, I'm so
4: glad Jacqueline you brought that up because people miss the depth that was included in this film. But I want to go back to the action because I think that you really get the action in this film and and it's underrated. There's about a 20 plus minute straight action sequence that also moves the plot forward. And I think people miss that. And this is like at the end, the culmination where the vampires pull up on the on the lichens and because Victor is now awakened and knows what's about to happen and they want to get Michael in this scene. There's so much between Craven and Victor and Michael and all goes down and you also get Celine doing like a double flip off of someone killing two lichens straight in the street while she's going to get Michael so I just I think we can't underestimate we can't talk about enough that the fact that they just shot 20 minutes plus of just straight battle and then also in those minutes talking about what Jacqueline just talked about which is giving the history of the love story
2: Yep, D- I completely I just, agree I-
4: I,
3: I don't I'm not I'm not feeling the love story as any sort of compelling avenue in this movie. And it's but not would because you but would you it's it's be, it's not because I don't have a heart, Jacqueline, you know, that I can watch a movie like definitely maybe and immediately be like, oh, OK, I could do a 10 year old. I, I, I guess I could have someone in my life like that. But with this and it's not that I don't understand the metaphor for racial relations and the fact that this might be an interracial relationship. It's just that I don't care. And I feel like Celine is just grasping at straws looking for a dude. I don't think that this guy's the dude. I think that he's a guy that happened to show up and she is going to rescue him. She's going to have all the power in the relationship. And I just, I think that he is the maybe Mr. Right now. I just don't, I never felt like he was Mr. Right for Celine.
2: Look. With people like Craven, which first of all, worst naming in the history. I'll give it to them. On some of the names in this are awesome, but big Begulation. shocker. Yeah, the the dude named Craven turns out to be a cowardly bastard who they originally like lauded as their like hero, and I'm like, who thought that this was believable? Dude named Craven is supposed to be the hero. Whatever. Craven
4: also gave us, the only issue I find with the movie is the lack of um, moving forward the sex scene in the vampire. The vampire sex deserved more. We were not given the proper vampire sex um, and I blame Craven.
2: Yeah. They gave it to us in the sequels, but I agree. I, I always
3: think it's going to be awesome if I'm watching a vampire movie and the lovemaking is about to commence. I'm like, this is going to be such a cool scene. There's going to be biting. It's going to be blood. It's going to be passionate. And in the middle of it, I just feel like, you know what? This, I feel weird. I I feel like I need a bath after watching this. I I feel like they're going to turn into bats. And now I'm just watching bats mate like it's National Geographic. And it just vampire love scenes have a lot of promise, very little payoff for this guy. But again, I'm just a mere human speculating on what a relationship of an entirely different species is like. In this case, if you had the virus that turned you into a vampire or I'll say this, I'd rather watch werewolves make love than vampires. Is that a hot Uh. take?
4: Mark, I have a question for you, though. You said that you don't think Michael was the right guy. He was just the guy. Are are you pitching yourself? Do you think you could have been the right guy?
3: I think that I would be... I, I would very easily fit into the role of the beta male for the alpha that is Celine. Like... She is going to be the one that determines where we go to dinner, which party we hit. She's basically going to set my entire schedule. I probably, in, in animal terms, she's going to lay the eggs and I'll just be home sitting on them while she's out getting the food and, and doing all the hard stuff. So she's definitely the breadwinner in our relationship. It, it It seems like a lot of work to date a vampire, so I probably would just rather remain single. But the, the thing uh, with uh, this something movie,
2: that you would do whether or not she was a vampire or not, but keep going. <laughs> that's
3: probably true. <laughs> Probably true. But w- when I step back and watch this movie, I, I give Len Wiseman a lot of credit because I think that he set out to make a graphic novel into a film, which I think he succeeded with. But- in the same way that uh, like Zack Snyder's Watchmen didn't speak to me, I knew what he was trying to do. It doesn't always translate exactly from page to screen. And one of my scenes that illustrates that is it takes so excruciatingly long to get Bill Nye back into a <laughs> vampire. It's like half the movie is He's him just- He's been
2: asleep for centuries. You think I this get is supposed it, to be
3: like- is, it's a movie, Jacqueline. It's if you're flipping the pages, you can you can gradually see the the growth of skin or whatever. I, can we get? I know where it's going. Can we just get there a little faster? That's one of these pulling teeth moments. It was just this long tug of war with watching Bill Nye gradually resuscitate that it it, it it took away from the other action and stuff that's going on. Maybe I couldn't focus on the relationship because I'm worried about Bill Nye's skin regrowing in time.
2: I mean, do he you
4: care? He was the metaphorical clock moving the movie forward. We had to watch
2: his progress. How did you feel about The Fly? Because The Fly has that. It's just reversed. You watch Jeff Goldblum go from hot to horrible. That's
3: (laughs) the whole plot of the movie. This is just some thing where he's been resuscitated. We got a lot of other stuff we're dealing with. And it's like, can we just get this guy? It just felt like the movie was focusing on that too much. And I'm like, I get this. Let's, Let's get back to the other cool mythology that I feel like we're we're sacrificing so we can watch Bill Nye Benjamin Button himself.
2: Okay. I mean, I'll give it to you that it, that it what's for, it took a while, but I don't care. I don't care about any of the randomness in here. Cause I think of it as like a pizza where they just put a bunch of toppings. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know I wanted bacon with pineapple, but Hey, Bacon. And I'm not talking about Canadian bacon, which everyone already does, but I'm talking about like regular bacon with pineapple. By the way, if you haven't done that combination, amazing. Mark, I see your face turning up like that. It's fine. going can turn it up even more. So we're about to talk about Wentworth Miller because I am not kidding you. I had forgotten he was in this movie. Completely forgotten he was in this movie. And I like stood up on my couch like Oh, there he is. There he is. So random, so unnecessary. He seems to be like this weird, supposed to be Scott Speedman's friend, but then also seems to be like, you're a weird one. I loved him. I wanted to see more of him and Scott Speedman in a very like Nicolas Cage and Justin from... um. National Treasure. I wanted their little buddy story a little bit more out there. Honestly, I think they had a little bit more chemistry than Celine and uh, <laughs> Michael did in the earlier parts of the movie. They got there eventually, but the earlier parts of the movie, that let's be honest, that chemistry was a little mm. And this is coming from someone who watched every season of Felicity, so I know what Scott Speedman can do. Awesome, Wentworth Miller is sexy as always. I wish I knew where he went. Justice for Wentworth Miller. Come back, sweetie. We'll be excited to see what you do next. The Mariah Carey video was not enough. Because, yes, he is in a Mariah um, Carey video. Isn't he in those, like,
3: CW, those Legends of Tomorrow things?
2: Oh, he did. He did do that. He came back for that. Yes, this is very true. He did come back and, for
3: that. And I appreciate Wentworth Miller in this movie, Dr. Adam, because he's like the one dude who has a slightly different haircut. It wasn't just like a joke up top. Every guy in this movie has the same exact haircut to the point where it's kind of hard to tell him apart after a while.
4: I don't know. I feel like we were given diversity in hairstyles. And the long hair in the early 2000s, that was that was it, Mark. You can't, hate, you can't hate the game. They were just doing what was right.
3: My, if my hair gets any longer than this, it gets very, very curly, and it sort of froze up. So maybe there's like a latent jealousy I have with it, but I really got characters confused because there was one barber available for the entire <laughs> Just
2: focus on Wentworth. He had the buzz cut. He's your avatar. Just, just focus yeah. there. But, but, Steph, real quick, is there any other scene before we get out of um, the movie talk that you wanted to make make sure we took note of about why this movie is awesome? But yeah,
4: one scene, one of the most awesome scenes of this film, it, it was earlier in the film when Celine is going to get Michael from his apartment for the first time and she's backed into a corner by a bunch of lichens and she doesn't really have anywhere to go. The elevator is shut and so what does she do? She takes out her two guns and shoots a perfect circle around her perfectly so it drops down to the lower level she lands in this like crouching tiger hidden vixen very much serving i'm here to slay the day and then just goes on with business i mean for her to land like that it was like watching the gymnast at the olympics it was a 10 out of 10
2: 10 out of 10 i would give i wouldn't give this movie a 10 out of 10 for a couple of like small quibbles but it's up there for me i'm not gonna lie to you i had so so much fun
3: with this movie um they did that on mythbusters apparently myth mythbusters saw underworld and they're like hey let's see if you could actually do that move where you just shoot in a circle on a floor until you fall down to the next floor i don't know if they were successful or not but i'm so glad steph Highlighted that scene because that if you told me that or if I looked at that in a graphic novel, I'd be like, this is going to look so cool on the big screen. And it did. I just didn't feel wrapped up in it. I just I I, I didn't feel like I was part of the action watching it. Dare I say that the move was ripped off shamelessly, but executed a little bit better the next year in Van Helsing. They totally stole it from Underworld. I, I, I totally give Underworld credit for pioneering the floor shoot falling through, but it was done pretty well in Van Helsing, too. It's like the one good part of that movie.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
2: And isn't she in that one, too? Isn't Kate Beckinsale yes. in in Helsing?
3: Yeah, is. because um, I think the dude, Stephen Summers uh, saw Underworld, and he was like, I never considered I, I think he wasn't considering her. Then he saw Underworld. He's like, oh, no, we should get Kate Beckinsale.
4: Which was cool, because before Underworld, she wasn't doing films like this.
2: No. Yeah, she was much ado about nothing. By the way, that was her debut. It's one of my all-time favorite films, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, doing Shakespeare is just always a very, very fun time.
0: Producey Lucy, did you want to say something? Well, I guess I'll just add this. Uh, For me, Bill Nighy is one of the greatest parts of this whole movie. He plays Victor. This scene when she, um, when Kate Beckinsale's Celine goes to talk to him, she's like, Father, Father of Darkness, I I woke you up a thousand years too early because shit's going down and I need your help. And Bill Nighy's performance, do do you remember this, where he's like, he like, he like does this weird like hiss gulping sound because he's like pissed off. Okay, obviously you need to watch Underworld for Celine and her kicking ass and her awesome leather outfit. But also, Bill Nye, any scene that he's in in this film, please everyone watch this film and just just revel in the glory of who this man is. It's Rebel incredible. Revel in the glory. Okay. I would revel
2: in the glory of the latex first, latex yes. leather. But rock
3: I know. Me up. That a lot of people love this movie and I applaud them for doing so. I think one of the things that cornered this movie for me, I blame partially on Producy Lucy and the show that we do <laughs> is because very recently, a couple months ago, we did an episode on Love Actually where Bill Nye plays the aging rock star. I see him pop up in this movie and I could not <laughs> stop thinking about him just singing. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes.
2: (laughs) I couldn't do it. I'm sorry.
3: Jacqueline, I'm
2: sorry. You know what? I don't blame you for that. But I think because I... I, Yeah, no, I've seen him in other stuff. I've been watching BBC adaptations since I was like 14. So he was not either one of those roles first in my brain. Um, Also, by the way... I learned what a VPN was my freshman year of high school because I used it to watch the BBC player. I would pretend that I was in London so that I could watch BBC shows because once I found out that Pride and Prejudice was over there, almost a two years earlier, like a year earlier than it was over here, I was livid. I was like, are you telling me they had this like live every week you were and coding, I had You
4: were coding for that? <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't code it?
2: anything. I was just literally like, what is a VPN and how do I scam the BBC into thinking that I'm in London because they over there, like their video player was available for anyone in, in uh, the UK. And so I just wanted to pretend I was in the UK. But let's go ahead and move on to our final thoughts on the film before we sort of transition into the more more behind the scenes industry talk, in which case I'm just about to go off on this whole Lynn, Kate Beckinsale thing before Pete Davidson, kids. This was was her little awkward white boy she was thirsting after. Start with you, Steph. Final thoughts on the movie as far as why it's awesome.
4: This movie is awesome because you just get more than what you signed up for. And I say that because sometimes people like Mark might leave and think that they didn't get enough, but you did get everything they promised. And I really think that movies like Twilight couldn't have been done in the way that they did and showing the relationship between werewolves and vampires had it not been for Underworld and the the multiple films in the series.
2: I agree. Um, Mark, how about, how about this? Did we in any way move the needle away from your more lukewarm meh?
1: Have I mean, look, I consulted
3: you? a number of close friends for this episode leading up to because I knew they're big Underworld fans. Uh, Andres Ace Cabrera, good buddy of mine, loves these movies. And he was telling me why. And I watched it and it just didn't grab me that way. I could not get into caring about the actual character relationships the way that I had hoped. Stylistically, the movie's A+. Kate Beckinsale is awesome. She kicks major asses Selena. I would almost put her up there with an Ellen Ripley even an Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator because she is just so hell bent on dealing death and it is fun to watch. Some of the action's cool, the performances are fine. I just didn't emotionally get invested the way I wanted to. And for the record, for all you Twilight fans out there, which team am I on? I am on team, not Edward, not Jacob. I'm on team Bella's dad because this, may, this take may not age well in 100 years. I, if I have a daughter, I don't want her dating a vampire or a werewolf. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I want her to date a human being.
4: She came wow. home bruised and beaten yeah. multiple times and he's like, you sure you good girl? She, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Let's just be honest, in pretty much every YA adaptation, the parents are out to lunch. Like there is no parenting going, even when it's a cop. Um, look, I I love this movie, I think it's, it's, it's incredible. It, it, it touches me in my early 2000s uh, feels and I will forever have a special place in my heart for it. Also, I might add that this is also a film, and this is just random. Um, thanks, Mark Hoffmeyer. Uh, David Bowie has been a near cast in several movies that I love, including uh, The Last Blade Runner. He was supposed to play the Jared Leto character in that one, but he died before that. And apparently he was supposed to be in this one, a shout out to my other one of my other favorite vampires on screen, The Hunger, which is David Bowie from 1983. Tony Scott, I think. And don't quote me on that one yeah the hunger is amazing but yeah i'm just if we're going to talk about some of our favorite sexy vampires too also shout out to Jin jarmus's only lovers left alive tilda swinton um and tom hiddleston i like that is like if you're going to invite yourself into a couple in a certain intimate setting that's the couple i'm going for they're going to keep you entertained let's keep it honest um Let's move on though, to more of our sort of like industry stuff, behind the scenes stuff, because there's a lot more to this movie than just the sex and the and the latex. Okay, we, we've we kind of alluded to this because they've made her look incredibly sexy all the way throughout this film, but Kate Beckinsale actually married uh, Lynn Weissman. And I'm guessing they were probably having some trailer time during the filming? I don't know. This is sort of like when people tried to say that um, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt were not hooking up on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, even though like, come on. The video evidence is to the difference. The video evidence with all of her like, let me make you look like the sexiest badass woman I have ever seen is telling a different tale than him being like, "Mm, no, we didn't get it together until after we were shooting the film. I don't, I don't buy that. But I do think um, it's really kind of excellent, the fact that he was able to sort of frame her in this incredible way. And I think his love for Kate as the actress translated to how he framed her on screen and why she seems so bigger than life because he was so enamored with her. And this is something that's happened a ton with directors. They fall in love with their quote unquote muse, the women that they frame on screen. And you can sometimes see how that bleeds into the narrative. And I definitely thought that it bled um, into this one also you know, this is after X-Men, but this is also within that framing of, like, they didn't let actors like Michael Sheen or Bill uh, Nye or uh, who else is in this one? I'm trying to think. Uh, who else is, like, good at what they do? Ah, uh, I guess those your, are-
3: your guy Wentworth. You also have uh, 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 Shane Broly is, uh, is craven.
2: Yeah, Shane Broly is craving. Yeah, like, but just guys that, you know, you would see normally on a masterpiece theater doing this sort of like action, making Bill Nighy an action star. He was like a legit action star in this movie, which I think is just a total, it's like Alan Rickman being in Die Hard. It was just a total different look. Um, But I don't know, I I think that adds to like why this is great. But what about you, Steph? You, You have any inside deets on the underworld mythology as we were?
4: Yeah, and I agree with you. I feel like the way she was shot and presented as the lead female lead amongst many men and never let her drown out in any scene that she was with them is what moved the what made the movie so good to me. So I'm glad that they kept the 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 light on her but i just think it's really interesting how much money these movies have pulled in when we talk about the critics not liking this movie i think ultimately money speaks and so when you only spend 200 million to make all of the movies and you brought in it says about 513 million in total global box office money talks that says that people like to watch this movie these movies
3: yeah, people showed up. And the audience score, I think, is fresh for everyone except for, I want to say, Awakening. But they basically churned one of these babies out every three years. And then 2016 was the most recent one. But, yeah, I mean, it, the, the budget, I think, was only like maybe $30, 35000000 somewhere around there. And it ended up being a success. It was number one the week it came out in September. And so you, you can't deny that this movie has such a built-in fan base. And I just wonder how many of those people that went to go see the movie – and the sequels were like me and and they knew that this holds so much promise because of all of the cool history that you could be telling here and whether they just felt like it was style over substance but the audience score indicates that a lot of folks left the theater pretty happy
2: yeah and again also made an action star out of uh, Kate Beckinsale um, who again serendipity is awesome Not necessarily the role that I would think of when I'm like, hey, you can go be in something uh, where you're fighting vampires. But I'm glad that, you know, Lynn Weissman saw through that and and was able to sort of make, uh, make that determination a bit on that one. Mark, is there any other little behind the scenes nuggets you got on this one? I just feel
3: like it's it, it seems a little unfair to say, oh, well, the director and the star were falling in love on set. So that's why I love that's one of the reasons why I like the movie so much, because I could I could come right back and say that this movie is trying to make me fall in love with Celine when I respect her as an action star. But it's like it's almost like they're a new couple and we're all hanging out in our circle of friends and they will not stop making out. And it's like, can you all Guys, we're all in a cabin in Big Bear together. Can you go do that in your room? We're trying to play Parcheesi here. Can, oh. If you want to have makeout time, go, go, go to the bedroom.
2: I see this is touching too close to some issues from Mark's personal life. Maybe. No,
3: no. cheesy. I actually, here's, here's my question, though, is I, I don't want to get too gossipy. It's not what the show does, but she was with Michael Sheen prior I, they had a relationship prior. Then they sort of turned into me and Molly, the Wonder Dog's mom, where we're still very good friends, even though we're not in a relationship anymore. And we support each other in our future relationship endeavors because Michael Sheen was in on the MTV's Punked episode that I did when we punked Kate Beckinsale. And I didn't know who Michael Sheen was at the time because I was like, I was new to Hollywood. I, I was a moron. And so I knew who Kate Beckinsale was, but I did not know who Michael Sheen was. And then come to find out they were still friends after their relationship fizzled. And so he was the accomplice. And he's actually the one that pushes me into the pool because it was like a mistaken identity thing. And some guy hit on Kate Beckinsale. And then I come walking by and I'm dressed in a similar jacket to him. And so Michael Sheen thinks that I'm the guy that hit on her and he pushes me into the pool. And there's your punk. And I think it was after this. It was definitely after this movie came out. And I'm just trying to go timeline. So she was probably still with Len Wiseman at this time. They were probably married.
2: Well, this is also like, first of all, I don't know why I haven't, but possibly because it's weird to go check out your friend's IMDb. But I've never checked out your IMDb mark. I didn't know you were on punk have oh, to- I've seen your commercials. I've seen I some think, other stuff, but I didn't know I don't even think pumped. that it,
3: it shows up. I don't even know what my IMDb looks like. But yeah, I did um, like a half season of MTV's punk I was brought on for like the last um, the, the last half of it. They didn't the have and I was not good at it at all. I don't like pranking people by trade. <laughs> I just I, I don't like it. And so when you do an episode of punk think about like if, if your friend is like coming out of the bathroom or something and you're hiding around the corner and you're going to jump out and scare him. It's like that feeling for 10 hours. Because mm. you're setting up and you're waiting all day to get to the punk that night. And it just takes a lot out of you. I was not good on the show, but it was fun to have that experience. And fun footnote is a couple of years later, I, for whatever reason, went to the premiere of Whiteout. Christian and I went to the <laughs> yeah. premiere of Whiteout starring Kate Beckinsale. The post party we got we somehow wrangled into... And I go up to Kate Beckinsale. I'm like, "Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I..." And she cuts me off. She's like, "Wow, you've lost weight." And I was like,
4: "Yes, wow, I'm in. wow."
2: But the shade on her being like, "You were pretty chubby before."
3: No, she did it in a nice way.
2: I know. I mean, she was it- noticing though. That's a good thing. She's like, "Hey, hey. Mark." I mean, yep. not to put it out here, Mark, but you should have maybe, if if you were single at the time, done a wink at a nod. She has a thing for comedians.
3: If I was As this Pete- Mark Ellis. I might have taken a shot. And Mark Ellis back then probably should have just gone home and drank himself to sleep.
2: <laughs> That's a good times. that is a good time. And then wait a minute before we get out of here because we're gonna go ahead and uh, go to mailbag after this. But you have a Scott Speed like you played ball with Scott Speedman.
3: Yeah, so we had a pretty uh, competitive rec league team uh, with the comedy store, and we played Scott Speedman's team. I want to say we played them twice. They kicked our ass in the regular season because they had a guy who played Division I ball at Boston College, and he was kind of dominating everybody. And then we meet them again in the semifinals. They don't have the – BC guy was busy that night, didn't show up. And so I believe Scott Speedman probably doesn't remember it as well as I do, but we beat Scott Speedman's team on the way to our first of four rec league championships. And um, I, I don't keep stats in rec league games, but I want to say I had a good night.
2: Wow, scoreboard on yep. Ben from Felicity—that's a big one. I could kind of talk about this movie forever. I want to dissect every one of Wentworth Miller's scenes. I want to dissect if they had to sew Celine into her costume the way they did Olivia Newton-John in Greece, because like, let's be honest—I <laughs> think they did. Definitely, yeah. No, one I of mean the things.
4: The, her style alone, we can just do an entire like fifteen-page thesis essay on it if we if we had the
0: time. I have a I have a fun fact really quick. Jacqueline. Yeah. Um, so about her costume, I guess it was actually made out of latex. And there's a quote of her saying it was like wearing she was like, I think that's what condoms are made out of. But she said certain locations where they shot, the latex, if you were in a cold area, it would like freeze her. But if and I think they were were they in Budapest or Hungary? I think they were in Budapest. Yeah. And so, like she said that some like the weather would be like freezing cold, and then go really hot one day. And so she'd like freeze in it, and then like cook in it. And it sounded horrible. But like no part in the movie does she look uncomfortable. She did also talk about how she loved that it kind of kept everything up where you know it should be, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Little little uh, what are they called? Nothing supports like latex, right? Let's
4: be
2: honest. (laughs) In more ways than one, figuratively and literally, let's be honest. (laughs) All right, and on that note, (laughs) let's go ahead and open our mailbag. All right, kids. So we've been getting a lot of sort of listener feedback. And on a personal note, let me just go ahead and add that for those of you DMing me, I love and appreciate y'all. Sometimes I like to think of this podcast as me and Mark just like kicking it and hanging out. And so it is very fun when you guys basically you know scare the crap out of me a little bit and be like we are listening and we liked it <laughs> and if you don't like it um dm somebody else named jacqueline but that being in mind i'm going to go ahead and read out loud today one of our sort of fan interactions that really stood out and it was actually about um an episode we had a while back the ace ventura episode where we talked about the part of the movie that you know doesn't necessarily hold up hasn't aged as well um that particular film is like a lot of films that we've looked at in a more 2020 post lens it was you know pretty transphobic and how it treated the trans character in that making them the butt of the joke making it a plot point making this sort of level of disgust in this person's identity and i found it to be something that i wasn't really comfortable with laughing about anymore i definitely probably laughed about it in 1990 whatever but it just didn't sit well and so we kind of debated that and and talked about you know how we grapple with movies that trade in comedy and use people as punchlines. And I'd said it was mean. Um, I got a little perspective on this um, from a fan, Daniel K. uh, Sorry, Daniel K. And I thought I'd read a bit of her letter um, so we can address what we didn't talk about in the episode. So here's what Daniel said. At what point do we as a culture say, your comedy can wait until this group is treated like human beings? And that goes across the board. Whether it's racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, any of these things, without even pl- an even playing field, these aren't jokes, they're violence. They're people using their privilege to hurt marginalized people and then cry victim when someone pushes back. It's not always something that people can shrug off. Many LGBTQIA individuals have anxiety or depression, so. Just a joke becomes a lot more serious. The world may be changing quickly, but that's no excuse to pretend like these changes aren't personally challenging um to someone we all have to be able to adapt to changes this is especially true for comedians and i know many many comedians who can adapt to shifting culture and their work is just as strong the past may have been dominated by white male straight writers but that won't be the future and if these comedians and artists can find a new and fresh voice maybe they belong in obscurity i know y'all are looking at it from a movie critic personal reaction perspective so you can only go as deep into the social aspects of the story you have to do what you have to do is keep it uh, keep the podcast entertaining i appreciate the discussion you did have and i just wanted to show you some show you some additional perspective out there love the podcast and thank you for indulging me first of all danielle thank you for your comments um it's always difficult. Um, it's uncomfortable, I think, when I look back at some of the, you know, issues of blackface in early uh, cinema. I mean, you know, you talk about Laurence Olivier wearing blackface to play the more Othello, and, and all of this stuff, it just doesn't hit like it did. But at the time, it could have been celebrated. People celebrated Mickey Rourke's a uh, turn is Mr. Um, f- for the Asian character above Holly Golightly and Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it's hard to even stomach that movie now when you watch it in retrospect. You want to fast forward through every line. So I-, I think, you know, it's great that we can address the fact that, yes, um we can dismiss the film as dated comedy but also that there were real world consequences to using this in this example using trans folks as a punchline, it has ties to trans violence and and violence against trans people and it promotes the idea that they're other that they're less than or worse that they're trying to trick people um so yeah i really appreciate this feedback from danielle and i appreciate all of you guys if y'all want to comment on anything we did that you liked or any discussion you wish we would have gone further so um Mark, anything you want to add to this one?
3: Yeah, I 100% agree with Danielle's email. And I echo Jacqueline's thoughts. First of all, on the DMs, keep them coming. I, I can't respond to all of them, but they're they're great. And I love hearing them. In reference to this in particular, from a comedian's perspective, She's absolutely right, is that you're looking – you always have to realize that when you tell a joke, whether it's on stage with your friends, whoever is is there is present, there's going to be a butt of the joke. Somebody is going to be the punchline, and the goal with comedy is to punch up, is to punch up at either the establishment, at the authorities, at people who are in positions of power who we maybe necessarily don't think are utilizing it. And of course, there's always going to be room for – funny dick and fart jokes in a stand-up set or in a movie. The thing with this that is so revealing about Danielle's point of view and that we really have this podcast to make conversations begin, not necessarily to close the book on them, is that you could still watch a random episode of Sports Center or put on a random NFL game and you might hear Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel, because it's just so in the pop culture lexicon at this point that people don't even realize what they're saying, what they're referencing half the time. And with that scene in particular, where Jim Carrey realizes that Finkel is Einhorn and he's grossed out because he had kissed that person, he then starts doing this incredible physical comedy. And so when I go back and watch the movie, I am still impressed with Jim Carrey's physicality in that. When he's got the plunger on his face, it is a funny look. Why he is doing it, on the other hand, is not. That is the comedy that has not aged well. The physicality is amazing, second to none. But the reasoning behind it is something that should change.
2: Yeah. And I'll actually use um, a quote from a comedian who I love, who I feel is very conscious about not punching down Patton Oswald. And he, you know, it's all chaos. Be kind. Just try to be kind. Mm -hmm. And and that's in whether you're a mail uh, delivery person or whether you're a comedian or whether you're an entertainment journalist, just be kind. And I think if you just come with that first, and I know it's Pollyannish and it's a little bit simple minded, but in the end, maybe my Southern sensibilities helps me with this because when I look back at some of the things that I'm not proud of, I can always point to it wasn't kind. And when I look at anything that I am proud of, I can very rarely say it wasn't kind. So I think that is just a great of test for anyone. Uh, Speaking of tests, uh, well, before that, I also wanna make sure everyone knows, join Danielle, DM us, email us, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. We wanna hear from you, movie recommendations. We have an incredible slate of films that we are lining up for the next section of the show. If you wanna add your voice to that and maybe be one of the names that we shout out when we uh, select a film, let us know. Uh, But now back to the test. Mark, our trivia master, what do you got for us today?
3: So I have some trivia. I have some trivia. But before I get to it, I just want to check in with Steph. Steph, were we kind to you during the show? Did we punch down too hard? Uh, you were Was-
4: absolutely so kind. I'm going to leave with the fondest memories of Jacqueline, Lucy, and Mark that will live in my mind, in my heart forever.
3: It, it, it could be a podcast subset, uh, uh, Producey Lucy. We could just do five weeks in a row on Underworld.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um I mean don't, don't tempt me. me. Yeah. Don't tempt yeah. me with a good time. And listen, I told Steph, I said, Hey, maybe one day we'll get all three of the world girls on for a special episode. And she was like, what what, what uh, you suggested um oh, Charlie's, Charlie's Angels Angels. I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. So Keeping it I gotta make that ladies. happen. It's been so fun listening to this episode. I feel like y'all did the minus you, Mark. I feel like uh, you did the movie proud. <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey that Charlie's Angels episode they, they there, there's some there's some tight leather in that movie too so question is But it is
4: It is really cool that you all have fans that write in things like this because it means that you've opened the door to the conversation and to the thinking of the problems that we've seen in film and movies. So when they asked, you know, when is the time that we stop using these jokes and tell someone's equal? I think the time is now. We're seeing a massive wave of accountability culture. And I think comedians are taking it serious.
2: Yeah. And I will say this. Look. There's always an easier way to go. I mean, I, you know, it's always easier to be snarky. I think it's um, challenge ourselves to be artful and kind. It's, again, it's not the, the, the easiest thing, but I, I like when people try. Um, again, so now back to you, Mark. What's the question?
3: Okay, so 2003 saw Underworld have a pretty good run at the box office, as Steph pointed out. What were the two movies that broke? The $300 million barrier at the domestic box office that year. Hint, both of them were Disney productions.
2: Pirates of the Caribbean?
3: Is one of them. Okay, mm-hmm. Steph. I think you got the other one. <laughs> don't, don't fall prey to when I say Disney, necessarily think classic Disney. Okay. Th-
4: in 2003?
3: It's a Pixar movie. Uh, This is the number one breadwinner. It even beat Pirates of the Caribbean at the domestic box office.
2: Up? Toy Story?
0: Finding Nemo.
3: Lucy (laughs) Producey nails it. That (laughs) little fish that could won the box office that year. in 2003 Just keep
0: swimming
2: and and holding with my I don't pay attention to animation bent one of these days we're going to do an animation month and then it's going to be where y'all really learn my lack of knowledge on animation um, maybe we'll have you back step to fill it in for me because yeah I would have never guessed I love why I'm in animation emo. I, I should have could- known that uh, prior to me becoming a film journalist, I could count on one hand the adult animation movies I had seen. So I want to thank Rotten Tomatoes for making me watch them because I've learned there's there's ones out there. And I also want to thank you, Steph, for joining us today. Um, tell folks where they're, what you're working on and where they can find you uh thank you for having me this was so much
4: fun y'all are truly the best you can follow me all over social media at Steph Sabra I do a fun show called with the world girls myself Roxy Stryer and Dorina Ariano. we give anything a whirl it gets crazy and then on Wednesday mornings I do a Star Wars show called the Sith Council with Christian Harloff and Mike Kalinowski and then make weekly appearances on SEN Live with a load of other wonderful hosts
2: awesome um and do you since we're, we have a movie and television expert you want to leave our listeners with a little recommendation of what they should be watching next
4: absolutely i gotta show some love to my people the asian community has been hit kind of hard the past few months uh, and so i want to shine a light on some asian tv and film i for a film i would watch the farewell and for a show kim's convenience is hilarious and underrated
2: Oh, shout out to our EP and also the lead of video here for uh, at Rotten Tomatoes Fandango. Eileen Rivera is the biggest Kim's Convenience fan and also one of the biggest Korean television show fans out there. Be, actually, wait a minute, Lucy. Yeah, where is Eileen to come on here and talk with one of hers? She's talk not here right mess.
0: now, but she'll be so happy that she's getting the shout out because she like she and I have talked for a while about like all the things that she has seen. So she's like. Staff, I gotta I gotta you got I need to connect both of you because yes. you'll love <laughs> absolutely
2: <it. laughs> all right everyone if you have by chance not seen Underworld uh you can go download and stream the movie right now and all of the incredible sequels, which I'm gonna go ahead and say it. They're pretty dope. And I would put it right up there with Resident Evil in a in a versus Mark, have we done a versus yet on Resident Evil versus Underworld? It I is think in, I the just, it's I just, in the I works. I just the like, yeah. I got um, a
3: versus you can catch on Peacock. I am currently binging a bunch of high school movies right now,
2: oh. and I am
3: currently working through a Michael Bay, Zack Snyder versus, and then we are eventually going to get to Resident Evil versus Underworld, the headlining mashup, the Kong Godzilla of these two. Really, it, it, if you're talking about zombies, you're talking about vampires, or like it's really any cool Magic the Gathering card, it's headlined by Resident Evil versus Underworld.
2: I'm down for it. All right, guys. Watch the movie. Email us. Don't forget to rate and review. Also subscribe wherever you're watching us. And if you haven't yet, you can see us, as in you will see the face behind these voices if you go check us out on the Rotten Tomatoes Peacock channel. Um, next week, Mark, we are going to a galaxy far, far away, correct? With yes, a lot we of are, controversy. And
3: I hesitate to do this, but I'm going to. I'm going to reiterate the email address, RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com. The reason why I said I might hesitate a little bit is because the movie that we're covering next week, it's not just any flick in a galaxy far, far away. It is the somewhat divisive 2017 classic, The Last Jedi, Star Wars Episode 8. Cannot wait to talk about Everything that is in that movie, everything that we thought was going to be in that movie, every twist when we thought it was going to turn, every zig when we thought it was going to zag, Jacqueline and I will dine on a dinner of porgs talking about The Last Jedi.
2: Also, I want to give Mark uh, the best underestimate in the world. Calling The Last Jedi somewhat divisive is like calling the Civil War a somewhat of a long disagreement. (laughs) But we will break all that down next week so you guys tune in on behalf of myself christian behind the audio boards producer lucy mark hoffmeyer tim ryan our guest this week steph sabra and my platonic hetero- is that that would be hetero is it heterosexual life mate for now yeah for now yeah mr mark ellis and myself thank you guys for listening bye-bye